Welcome to Holy Savior Sermons, bringing you the weekend sermons given at Holy Savior Church. Well, this morning we're going to wrap up our series, Ruth Better Than a Fairy Tale. We've been exploring the book of Ruth. We're just mining all the great richness that is there in this book in Scripture. You know, Ruth, better than a fairy tale. A fairy tale has a lot of good stories, a lot of depth and meaning maybe for our daily lives. But Ruth, Ruth is not a fairy tale. Ruth is this true story we find in the Bible, we find in Scripture. And it speaks to our moments today. Well, as they do that, you know, if you've missed the past several weeks, any of the weeks in this series, the last three weeks, you can go to holycv.org. You can find the sermons on the podcast there. There's a link for the podcast. You can also go to holycv.org, and you can watch it on the YouTube channel. But I'm going to give you a really quick synopsis. Kind of imagine you're watching your favorite streaming service, Amazon Prime, Netflix, Hulu, whatever it is, and we're just going to go chapter one, two, and three really fast here. So hold on. Are you ready? Holding on. All right, so Ruth, better than a fairy tale. Book of Ruth, there is tragedy in the land of Bethlehem. There's a famine. And so in a desperate moment, a desperate decision, Naomi and her husband Elimelech decide that the best thing for them and their two boys is to leave Bethlehem and move to this place where there's food called Moab. Moabites and Israelites, if you were with us before, you know they do not get along with each other. There's been a long history of animosity, hate, racial and ethnic hate towards one another. But that's how desperate they are. If you've ever been desperate before, you know sometimes you do things out of desperation. So they move to Moab, begin a new life there because there's food there, and tragedy strikes yet again. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies, buried there in Moab. So now Naomi is a widow. Her two boys are fatherless, but they continue living there. They marry Moabite women. But then tragedy strikes again. Naomi's two boys die, leaving Naomi a childless widow. Things look pretty desperate once again. But, but Naomi hears that there is a harvest in Bethlehem. There's going to be food again. So she decides the best thing for her, even though she's a childless widow, to move back to Bethlehem. She tells her two daughter-in-laws, look, I really have nothing at all to offer you. The best thing for you is to go back home where your family will care for you and you're young enough that you can remarry. One daughter-in-law says, sounds good. Love you, mom. See you later. And the other daughter-in-law, Ruth, who we get the name, the book of Ruth from, Ruth clings to Naomi and says, don't throw me away. Don't cast me away. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you go, I will go. Let nothing separate us but death. She makes this beautiful commitment to Naomi. They pack up little belongings they have, and they move from Moab to Israel, to Bethlehem. It's been 10 years since Naomi has been away, and people are excited to see Naomi. She's like, don't call me Naomi, which means delightful or pleasant, but call me you know, Mara, which means bitter, because she is saying, God has been bitter to me. My life is bitter. Ever felt like your life is bitter? Well, it just brings us to the end of chapter 1, but just the very end, chapter 1 has a glimmer of hope because the harvest is beginning. Now, let me jump into Ruth chapter 2. 
Ruth chapter 2, Naomi sends Ruth out to find food in a practice we call gleaning. Gleaning was something God had established for his people to ensure that those who were orphans or widows, those who were foreigners, those who were poor, who had nothing, could go after the harvesters went through. They didn't pick up every single little piece of grain. They would leave a little bit behind. Anything that they didn't, you know, pick up, you know, anything that fell off, you know, the, the wagon, you know, for those of you who have done harvest before, the, the grains that are left on the side, they would leave those so those people could come pick it up and they'd have at least a little something to live on. And Ruth goes to this foreman of this one field and says, may I glean here? Now, this is a time in Israel when many people were not practicing, you know, God's call for their lives. Well, this foreman knows his boss. He knows this guy named Boaz you know, is a man of character, which means he's a man that follows God. And so he says, yes, come glean in this field. And just shortly into the story, you know, Boaz shows up to see how things are going with the harvest. And he sees this person that he doesn't know. I asked the foreman, hey, who was that over there? Oh, that's the Moabite woman that came back with Naomi. That's Ruth. Calls Ruth over. And he invites her to glean in his field. He promises her security, safety, that nothing will come of her while she's with him on his field. Not only that, he invites her to come and, and eat with him and his workers. She's got some leftover food. He says, you're welcome to come every day and eat with the workers to have the water that we have. This promise to provide for her, to care for her. He just more than just see her. He acts on, you know, how God has called him to live. And then after Ruth goes back to finish gleaning, you know, he turns to the foreman and says, look, make sure that nobody harms her, nobody harasses her, and make sure that the guys, when they're harvesting, they leave extra for Ruth. Now, Ruth has been gone all day long. I kind of imagine Naomi, you know, I don't know for certain, doesn't say that, but I kind of imagine Naomi's kind of like getting her 10,000 paces in for the day, walking back and forth, just kind of wondering how things went for Ruth. Because, you know, she's been gone all day. She's a Moabite woman in Israel. And here comes Ruth. She can see Ruth coming, you know, and, and, and Ruth has got a smile on her face. Not only that, Ruth has got this, this bag, you know, or on an animal, or maybe someone's carrying it, maybe Ruth is carrying it, 50 pounds of grain, more than what she would have got from just gleaning alone to provide for them not only for several days, but they can sell that grain and, and have more provision for themselves. And so Naomi was like, Ruth, tell me, tell me what happened. You know, wh- where did you get all this grain from? Where did you go? Whose field were you on? She said, oh, I was on this field with this guy named Boaz. And Naomi's like, Boaz? He's a family member. He's a kinsman redeemer. And so there's just a greater glimmer of hope in this story of Ruth. That brings us to the end of chapter 2. Chapter 3, last week. Now Naomi is devising a plan. She tells Ruth, take a bath, put on some perfume, and get dressed. And that was a sign for Naomi to say, Ruth, we're done mourning. It's time for us to trust this plan that God is unfolding for us and to move forward. She says, do that, and then you're going to go and find Boaz. Now, she finds Boaz. When she does this, she is going to wait until it's dark, until the party is over, because this is a harvest party. The harvest party was the guys only. Sorry, ladies, no guy, no ladies came to the harvest party. It was just the guys. They had the harvest, you know, and they'd have a party, food and drink. And after things settled down, Boaz is sleeping. Ruth comes in quietly, lays at his feet. That's a sign of vulnerability and humility. And Boaz wakes up and 
you know, there's Ruth, and who are you? I'm Ruth. And then she goes on, and she really makes kind of a proposal to him. She proposes, you know, I want you to serve as my kinsman redeemer. Now, again, Boaz is a man of character. We're told that, you know, and so he takes this role seriously. He says, Ruth, I would do this for you, but there is one who is ahead of me. We need to ask him first. And if he says no, then I will do it. Go back to Naomi. I'll get moving on this first thing in the morning. So Naomi, you know, again, I imagine she's maybe, again, getting her 10,000 steps plus in for the day, pacing back and forth, waiting for Ruth to come back. Ruth comes back. Ruth, I don't know whether Ruth had a smile on her face or confusion on her face. I just know she's back. And then Naomi's like, okay, tell me what happened. And Ruth goes on and tells her the whole story of what happened. And Naomi's like, you know, Boaz is a man of character. He's a man that, that serves God. If he says that's what he's going to do, he'll do it. She says, so let's sit back and wait. And that brings us to where we are today in chapter 4. Boaz gets up in the morning and goes to the city gate. Let's read the text together, Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Boaz went straight to the city gate and took his place there. Before long, the close relative... The one mentioned earlier by Boaz strolled by. So Boaz goes to the city gate. Now, a couple things about the city gate. When you think about a gate, when I think about a gate, I usually think about a gate like the gates I have in my house. You go, because my, my gate creaks. Does your gate creak? Maybe it's just my gate. You know, I, or, or the kind of gate that you might come to and there's a dog barking you know, at your backyard. But the city gate was a special place for a city, especially if it had a wall. It was a place to kind of funnel everybody through. But the gate was also a place where certain things happened, transactions happened, their business happened there, important events happened there. This is where, if you read in Scripture, the prophet Eli waited to hear word as God's people, the Israelites, were in battle with the Philistines and to hear about the Ark of the Covenant. This is where David, King David came and, and gave directions to his men before they went into battle. The city gate is also a time later when David came after the death of his son Absalom, and he came and he was mourning, and the community gathered around David to comfort him in his mourning. The city gate is kind of like a town hall, a courthouse, or if you grew up in a small farming community, maybe it's kind of like the um, gas station coffee shop that everybody goes to. And Boaz is waiting until this other relative shows up. And this other relative, by the way, he has no name whatsoever. This no-name guy, we're going to call him Sam, short for Sam, because it's a biblical name, and it just makes it easier to talk about him. So Sam finally comes by. Whether Boaz knew exactly what time Sam would come by, whether Boaz was just going to sit there and wait, we don't know. But Sam eventually comes by, and Boaz says, hey, yo, Sam, come over here. we got to talk, man. And, you know, of course, they exchange some probably cordial greetings with one another. And, and Boaz said, you know, he said, you know, uh, Elimelech, right, our, our relative? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he, he died in Moab. And his uh, wife, Naomi, you know, they were gone for 10 years. Well, she's back. And she's selling his land. And you're first in line. Again, this is a, much like the gleaning. This is part of how God established things to ensure that a family could be provided for. So Boaz is like, Sam, would you like to buy the land? Imagine Sam's like, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, who could use some more land? I'd be up for some more land. I'd buy some more land. I've been thinking about buying some more land. Sounds good. But I says, well, okay, but there's a little more to it than that, Sam. Um, you see, if you buy the land because Elimelech died, you know, the, went, the inheritance went to his two sons. Well, both his sons died. So in order to buy the land, the land is also connected to the Moabite woman that came back with Naomi, Ruth. Yeah, you're going to have to marry her. Now Sam's like, whoa, uh, oh, man, wait a second here. I have to marry her or one of my sons would have to marry her? He's like, that just messes things up. Now it tangles up her inheritance and her family's inheritance with my inheritance, and it makes things messy. I, I want nothing to do with that. If you want it, Boaz, it's yours. So Boaz says, all right, if you don't want that, if you're giving up that claim and that role as the kinsman redeemer, I'll take the role. Now, when Boaz gathered there at the city gate and he had called Sam over, he also gathered 10 leaders of the community, 10 of the elders of the community. And this is a way to make sure, kind of like a city council, that this business transaction was very transparent, that everybody knew exactly what happened. They knew that Sam gave up his right to be the kinsman redeemer and that Boaz was going to take on this role. And to take on this role and this responsibility meant that Boaz had to give something up. He had to purchase this land for Ruth and Naomi so that it would remain in their family. And so part of what they do in this business practice of this day, and it's, just, it's an interesting little thing that they mention. It'd be easy, again, to gloss over this, that when Sam says, all right, Boaz, the land is yours, Ruth is yours, what does Boaz, you know, what does Sam do? He takes off his sandal and says, here you go, Boaz. I don't know if that was kind of like a spit in a handshake kind of a deal. It is obviously something that was important to note, kind of like you know, sometimes things change. Some of you, if you're a little more chronologically gifted, there are things that you know and words you say that a younger generation looks at you and says, what are you talking about? Things that don't make sense. For example, I got a cell phone right here. How many of you hang up a cell phone? I, some of you use that language, don't you? you? Did you hang up the call? You got to hang up. But you don't hang up anymore because it's a cell phone. You end the call. It's the old-fashioned phones. I can remember the old-fashioned phones. that You hang up. So they're just saying, look, this is the way it was done, you know, Sam got a sandal, and Boaz had it. The contract is signed. It's a done deal, and the ten elders are witnesses of that. And then they all speak blessings upon Boaz and Ruth, that, that, that God would bless them and bless this, this role as the kinsman redeemer. They even say for Ruth, you know, we, we, we pray and bless that you'll be like, you know, Leah and, and Rachel, which are two good Old Testament names. You can look those names up in, in Genesis. Maybe like Leah, you know, who had a lot of children. May God bless you that way. And Rachel, who was so dearly loved, that Boaz would love you dearly, that he would cherish you, that together you would be blessed. And like tomorrow, that you would be blessed as one who has been outside the community that would become part of our community. So Ruth and Boaz get married. We don't know a whole lot more what happens after that. We just know that they're together. And we know they have a son named Obed. Because, you know, it says that Naomi, you know, is holding on to her grandson. You can imagine that. How many of your grandparents, you know, parents? How many of you have ever been a kid before? Are a kid? Okay. You know, grandparents are, are, are awesome. And so here's Naomi. Kind of picture. She's got this little boy on her knee, bouncing him up and down, just loving and cherishing this little boy. Because as she looks at this, 
You remember, you know, at the beginning of the story, she says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Don't call me delightful. Call me Mara because I am bitter. Here God has redeemed her. That doesn't make the pain that she had of losing her husband and sons and all those desperate moments that she went through anything worthwhile. But now she's got a grandson. The grandson means that her family name is restored, that the inheritance that belonged to her husband and her sons will remain part of the family. God isn't mentioned a whole lot here in the book of Ruth, but there at the beginning and here at the end, we see God, God stepping into Naomi's story and blessing her. You know, this is the truth about fairy tales. When you think about fairy tales, we even talk about the fairy tale of Cinderella. You know, in the Cinderella fairy tale, redemption is just for one person. In the Cinderella fairy tale, it's only Cinderella who is redeemed from her miserable life of, you know, serving her evil, nasty, mean stepmother and stepsisters. In the Cinderella fairy tale, only she is rescued by the prince and lives happily ever after. In the story of Ruth, Naomi is redeemed. Ruth, Ruth is redeemed. Ruth is redeemed because, you know, she is a Moabite woman who would have no hope in Israel. You know, she has purpose. She's welcomed and becomes part of this community. And Boaz, Boaz, you know, steps up and, and does more than just simply see something. He acts on that. So Cinderella, those fairy tale stories, there's only one person that is redeemed, one person that is saved. But In the book of Ruth, in the book of Ruth, redemption is for all people. Not just for Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, but for all people. Because that little boy bouncing on uh, on Naomi's knee. You know, he grows up and he has a family. He has a son. He names his son Jesse. Now, you might know this story, but he names his son Jesse. So Jesse is Naomi's great-grandson, Ruth's great-grandson. His grandson, I'll get my, my greats, 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 right? And then Jesse grows up, and Jesse has a family. He's got a number of boys, and, and of all the boys that he has, he has this one little dinky, kind of smaller than the rest, youngest of the sons, who is good for watching the sheep. That's all that he does. He's a shepherd, but he's a shepherd who's known for writing poems and singing. He's a shepherd that's known for tackling bears and lions, and when the other Sons of Jesse are there with the men of Israel. They're battling the Philistines, and there's this giant of a guy. It is this little shepherd boy named David who steps up before the giant Goliath. And with a small stone, trusting God, brings the giant down. God's redeeming story in Ruth goes beyond just Naomi and Ruth and Boaz that it reaches forward and reaches backward, and there's King David. Now, if you do my greats right, he is the great, great grandson of Naomi and the grandson of Ruth. I think I got that right. But, you know, God has a greater plan than this. Because now let's jump to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we read these words. This is the list of ancestors, Jesus Christ, descendant of David and Abraham. And then verses 5 and 6, and read these words with me. Boaz and Ruth were the father and mother of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. And it goes on this long list of other names, and it ends with Jesus. God's redemption story through Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. 
is the story of his redemption for the world in Jesus. God's plan to redeem you and me. We hear that in the words of the prophet Isaiah. Let's read these words together. I made your rebellious acts disappear like a thick cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Come back to me because I have redeemed you. That he has redeemed us. Paul writes about this redemption in his letter to the church in Ephesus. Let's read Ephesians chapter 1. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He is so kind in his riches and grace that he purchased us. This is like Boaz purchased the lamb, that he purchased our freedom, that he redeemed us by his blood. See, Ruth, Ruth is better than a fairy tale. You know, if we live in the fairy tale world, this is how I think our mindset is if we're living in the fairy tale world. I'm going to give you three points about living in the fairy tale world. Living in the fairy tale world, we think things can and should be perfect now. Maybe even sometimes there are preachers out there who would tell you if you live in the fairy tale world of faith, everything will be great for you if you have enough faith. We expect things to be perfect and wonderful, but the reality is, no. number two, living in the fairy tale world, I just need to wait until Prince Charming comes. Whomever, whatever Prince Charming is, sometimes it's a person, sometimes it's a thing, sometimes an event in your life, we wait for that one moment and then everything will be perfect and we'll live happily ever after. Living in a fairy tale world, you know, we think, who's the main character? I am. Everything revolves around me. But if we're going to be about growing in Jesus and sharing his love. And the Holy Spirit, we say that's what we're all about. We're going to be about growing in Jesus and sharing his love. Then here are three important lessons for us from this story of Ruth. The first is this. Like Naomi, we accept that the world is broken. Broken by sin. But God redeems. God redeems in small ways like he redeemed Naomi and Ruth. And of course, God especially redeems in the biggest, greatest, most powerful way ever in his son, Jesus Christ. So we see the world as Naomi. We accept that it is a world that is broken, that things will not be perfect until we're with our Father in heaven. Secondly, like Ruth, like Ruth, in community, we can move forward. That Ruth did not move forward on her own. She had the wisdom of Naomi. She had the community that surrounded her. And so we too, sometimes there's shaky little steps we take forward in faith, but we take steps forward in faith because together as a community, we encourage one another. We pray for one another. We are there for one another. We move forward together. And then thirdly, like Boaz. Like Boaz, we join God in his redemptive work. That God has called us not only to sing great songs like Just As I Am Without One Plea and celebrate God's redemptive work in Jesus, that we are to carry that redemptive work out into our world. That if we're going to be about sharing Jesus' love, we share that love here with one another. And as we step outside the walls of this church, as we drive out of the parking lot to whatever you're going to do the rest of the day, buy some strawberries maybe, that we share God's redemptive work by making a difference in the lives of people in our community and our world. Loving as we've been loved by God, who sent his son Jesus to be our kinsman, redeemer. Let's pray.
Lord God, we give you thanks and praise for the great gift of your love and your forgiveness. Lord, we thank you that you uh, included the book of Ruth as part of the scriptures that we read. And that, Lord, as we read that story, we see how you redeem people in their moments and their struggles and their hardships. That you are with them in the moments they feel so miserable and so frustrated that you don't give up on them, even if they have given up on you. We thank you, Lord. In the book of Ruth 2, we see your bigger redemption plan, not just in small moments of their lives or our lives, but ultimately, your redemption plan for us in Jesus. The redemption plan that, Lord, we are a part of not only for our today and our forever, but every moment as we live and share the good news of Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. For more information about Holy Savior, including service times and location, please visit holysavior.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, God bless.